Hi, everybody. This is Science Modeling Talks, the podcast that features top modeling instructors and thought leaders sharing ideas. I'm your host, Mark Royce. Remember to visit sciencemodelingtalks.com to access extra content related to our interviews and to learn more about our guests. While you're there, share your thoughts and comments by clicking the link that says, Tell us what you think. We really want to hear from you. Okay, let's get started with today's episode. My guest for this episode is Daniel Peluso, an astrophysics PhD candidate with the University of Southern Queensland and is an education associate for the SETI Institute. Peluso's PhD project is multidisciplinary, focusing on NASA TESS exoplanet follow-ups and astronomy education research. For astronomy education, Peluso is developing an astronomy citizen science network for education using remote and easy-to-use digital telescopes so teachers and students can observe celestial events and learn science by doing science using astronomy modeling instruction. Peluso holds a Master's of Education in Science Curriculum Development and has years of experience as a high school science teacher. Dan has also recently developed a new graduate-level inquiry-based astronomy education course for teachers with the American Modeling Teachers Association, or the AMTA. Peluso is also an outspoken advocate for mental health, a singer-songwriter, and he regularly performs and releases original music under the stage name Connor Echo, spelled E-K-O. You can look him up, Connor Echo. Here's my interview with Daniel. Hi, Dan. How's it going? Hey, Mark. Good. How are you? I'm doing well. Well, we're here today to talk about uh, modeling and astronomy, teaching astronomy using modeling methodologies in the classroom. So I would love for you to tell me a little bit about the history of uh, astronomy modeling as we get going here. Where did, how did it get started? What do you know? And, and uh, what's your journey been uh, in it? Yeah, so uh, this goes back all the way to 1992 when I was just a little kid and had no idea what modeling was. Maybe didn't really even understand what astronomy was. But uh, the uh, kind of beginning started with this uh, program called Hands-On Universe, or HOU. And this was a program that was developed by Carl Pennypacker. Carl is a uh, semi-retired astrophysicist with Lawrence Berkeley National Labs. And... He and uh, others were interested in trying to find a way to bring real astronomy to the classroom to maybe improve upon science education. So they got some teachers to come down to Lawrence Berkeley Labs. And one of them uh, was pretty excited about trying to use some of the stuff that the uh, astronomers were, were showing the teachers. And this was, you know, very uh, kind of beginnings of you know, using technology in the classroom. So there's like command line image processing and you could barely display an image, but it was still very powerful uh, to bring any kind of real astronomy into the classroom. So they worked on this more and they turned it into a full-fledged National Science Foundation NSF grant proposal, which was funded. 
Mm. And they turned that into a workshop for teachers. And it improved where they got teachers using telescopes, uh, remote telescopes, and working and uh, working on using image software. They even developed a uh, image processing software so that teachers and students could take real astronomical images and process them in the classroom. Someone who was really fundamental uh, early on with Carl was a uh, person by the name of Alan Gould, and he's an astronomy educator with the Lawrence, or was an astronomy uh, educator with uh, Lawrence Hall of Sciences. I think he still does work with them, but he's he's a world leading astronomy curriculum developer hmm. and big contributor to this hands on universe project. He helped give a lot of valuable feedback to Carl and the team and and how they could improve this work of bringing it into the uh, high school and middle school classrooms. And they initially trained, I guess, about a thousand teachers hmm. across the country. Wow. And it was really successful. And then uh, it grew to become the Global Hands-On Universe Project, or G-H-O-U. And Europe um, started initiating some of those trainings too. And um, to date, they have over 80,000 teachers around the world that have been trained with uh, GHOU. And this is about bringing astronomy to the classroom using real uh, telescopes and real uh, uh, scientific images from telescopes and uh, using planetarium software in the classroom, the image processing software. As I mentioned, there's one called Salsa J, which is uh, how we do uh, photometry. So you take it, uh, when you get an image from a telescope, a lot of people have this misconception that, you know, we, uh, uh, there's actually a really fun example to think about how telescopes work. Do you think, I'll ask you, Mark, a question. Are you familiar with the Hubble Space Telescope? Sure. Yeah, so the Hubble Space Telescope, as I'm sure everyone listening is familiar with, has brought us all these amazing images of, of the cosmos. Do you think astronomers are going up to the Hubble Space Telescope and putting their eye through putting their eye through uh, uh, an eyepiece to take to, to look at these images? Yeah, I would guess that they're being digitally captured and shared among astronomers would be my guess. But uh, you know, because having access, you know, being able to travel to the physical. Oh no, the hell, the telescope's in space, isn't it? It's yep, up there. Yep, it's it's not space. on Earth, right? It's yeah. not on Earth. No, yeah. it's orbiting around the planet. Right. <laughs> so it wouldn't be too feasible to be flying up to space every every uh, every day. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but well, bes- besides the impracticality of actually doing that, you know, with professional astronomy, we are getting images by by processing light that comes through, and the uh, and a lot of times in astronomy, we are getting what's called a, a FITS file. And I believe that's flexible image transport system is what it stands for. But it's just a fancy word for an image file that has all the data and metadata that we need from a celestial observing event mm. so that we can process it and we can combine the images together to make them beautiful with colors and and understand the brightness and the uh, the uh, changes in brightness over time and all these different things that we can study from an image in order to learn about our universe. Hmm. So the GHOU project created this software that allowed teachers and students 
to actually do this in the classroom, which is really powerful because nothing has really ever been done like that. And, you know, this is usually reserved for, you know, professional astronomers. Yeah. So, um, this is something that was, you know, working through the nineties and, um, then a, f- a few, um, I guess a few of the, the GHOU, uh, participants were modelers. Hmm. And this is kind of how we transitioned into how, well, how did, how did astronomy modeling begin? How did we get from GHOU or HOU to GHOU to astronomy modeling? Well, some of these teachers were modelers and they, uh, one in particular by the name of Steve Carpenter, who's a pretty well-known modeler, modeling instruction. He, uh, loved GHOU and there was other HOU modeler, HOU modelers that were also uh, really excited about having some sort of modeling specific activities, you know, using the modeling instruction pedagogy with, uh, GHOU activities, the astronomy activities I was talking about. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, modelers were very innovative. There was a, there was a, actually a professor of astronomy from Western Kentucky university by the name of Richard Gelderman. And he knew Carl and the GHOU program. And he really encouraged Carl and the other people working on GHOU to create a modeling instruction astronomy course. They've been talking about it for years and bouncing ideas back and forth and, you know, trying to vet, invent, invent this modeling astronomy activities. And in fact, it was originally funded, I think, through this Norwegian, Norwegian Science Foundation to uh, fund the initial work on it. And we're talking, I'm not sure exact years in here because I wasn't, I wasn't participating in this at the time, but we're talking like 2010s, maybe 2000, uh, somewhere between 2010 and 2015, maybe these discussions were happening. Happening. I know the one of the seminal events happened around 2017 or 2018, where the uh, Norwegian Science Foundation, which helped fund this, brought all of these um, modelers to Berkeley to work with Carl and other people from GHOU, hmm. and uh, and they uh, had this goal to create a modeling astronomy. Uh, workshop. Okay. And uh, Colleen, which I'm sure uh, I know you're yeah. familiar with Colleen, and I'm sure a lot of people listening to this podcast know Colleen. Oh, yeah. So, uh, you know, Colleen McGowan uh, Romanowitz, she's, uh, you know, got got her PhD, you know, with uh, David Estenis, the, the, you know, one of the fathers, the father of modeling instruction, yeah. right? Right. And she's been very involved with AMTA you know, through, you know, its inception. I think she was actually the first member of AMTA maybe, or one of the first. She, yeah, she was a founding member at least, if not the first. Yeah, you're right. Just a side note, if people who are listening are interested in hearing Colleen's focus, and, and uh, I did an interview with her. It's been a couple of years, but you can go to sciencemodelingtalks.com and find in our archive the recordings of the podcast from with Colleen and many other people, but Colleen especially was very good. Yeah, that's great. I think I even I remember listening to it. It was a really good interview that that you did. Mm-hmm. There's a few a few with uh, Colleen, and yeah. she uh, she was involved in that first that first uh, key meeting about developing the astronomy modeling workshop, and she she did a lot of the work 
around identifying the key models. Yeah. So as, as we know with modeling instruction, we have to figure out what our, our, you know, our important models are for a particular subject that we're teaching in the storyline in physics, you know, yeah, Yeah. in the storyline. Exactly. So Colleen and the other people that were in this, this initial meeting, uh, it included, uh, a, uh, a high school astronomy teacher uh, who's very involved with GHOU, Richard Lohman, Colleen, as I mentioned, Carl Pennypacker, who I said, Steve Carpenter, who I mentioned, Mm -hmm. Alan Gould, who I mentioned, and a lot of other very valuable collaborators. And these activities uh, were were developed there, kind of combining some of the stuff that GHOU had and ideas that the modelers had, and they went out to be tested with existing modelers and the modeling community to get feedback. Mm. So this, this happened over some time and then uh, Colleen actually helped to compile everything together. And then eventually it turned into a workshop. And in 2019 at the university of Louisville in Kentucky was the first astronomy modeling workshop. Mm-hmm. And the workshop leaders for that were Stephen Colbert and Doreen, uh, Doreen Grinner. So that's that's kind of the background history of how how it came about. Yeah, is that where you jumped in? Yeah, so this this is where the crossroads meet and with with my path and uh, astronomy modeling. So at the time, uh, so I I'm a former high school physics teacher. So in um, f- from like 2017 through 2020, uh, so for three three years straight, I was teaching high school physics in the Bay Area. And in my last two years teaching, uh, before I started my PhD, I started working at a new school. And that new school was Mare Island Technology Academy in Vallejo, California, where I also currently live. And the former physics teacher, she had this astronomy club after school. And I was really excited about this astronomy club because... I always loved astronomy. In fact, I had always had these aspirations of getting a PhD in, in astronomy and astrophysics. Huh. But at the time, didn't think it was going to be something that was going to be in my future for various reasons. And I met Carl that first year teaching at MIT Academy because Carl was working with this teacher and he would go to this astronomy club and bring these GHOU activities to the astronomy club. So that's how I met Carl and, and him and I kind of hit it off. I told him how, yeah, I'd love to get a PhD, but you know, I, I don't really want to move around to the the entire country. I mean, my wife and I are kind of happy here in the Bay area and I'm not sure if there's any, you know, opportunities for some of the schools here for the kind of research that I'm interested in. And then he kept talking about modeling and I was like, Oh, what's modeling? I don't know what that is. And then, And then I kind of learned a little bit, you know, osmosis through him, what it was. And then, then he told me about this PhD program in Australia at the University of Southern Queensland, where I could pursue a PhD in astrophysics, make my own research project, which would include uh, a astrophysics portion, but also an astronomy education portion. Because that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be able to do actual science and, and learn the skills and, and the knowledge and, and experience of being an, a real scientist. But I also wanted to do research and work 
around education so that I can improve upon education. And this opportunity at uh, University of Southern Queensland would allow me to do that. Carl was involved with it because Carl is um, a researcher with with uh, um, UniSQ. That's the the kind of abbreviation for it. And he he does work on uh, preventing wildfires by using. This is actually pretty interesting. He, he's a cosmologist, Carl, and they use these uh, uh, satellites and other and other uh, imaging. Um, devices in order to look for wildfires before they start. Wow! With the same kind of techniques that he used to look for supernovas out in out in the cosmos. Which wow! Is cool. Wow! Yeah, but that's how he was involved with uh, UniSQ and th- the uh, people that he worked with there. Uh, one of them, my supervisor Brad Carter at UniSQ, they were very interested. Uh, as well with another collaborator, Duncan Wright, to uh, create some uh, unique research project for one of their PhD students in the future around incorporating this modeling instruction and a more inquiry-based way of learning astronomy. And I was there at this, you know, at the crossroads, um, and I uh, picked up my guitar. If if anyone's a, a music a music <laughs> fan at the crossroads, well, do do you know? Sorry, I had this tangent, but I just it kept made me think about Crossroads and and uh, the the guitar player who who went to the Crossroads to to sell his soul. Yeah, well, um, a great guitar player. I do know the story. I can't remember his name. Darn, anyway. Robert Johnson. Robert Johnson. Robert Johnson. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it was Robert Johnson. Yeah. So, um, but for me, this was this was me, um, you know, looking to to you know improve upon my career and do the next steps and 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 you know, some of these aspirations that I had. And it was very serendipitous that I had met Carl while I was teaching and he had these connections with UniSQ in Australia. And at the same time, he was developing with Colleen and the other modelers, this astronomy modeling workshop. And I went to the 2019 astronomy modeling workshop and that was actually when I began my PhD. Hmm. So I got into the PhD program and I'm still doing it now. And I was a, was a participant. It was my first experience with modeling. And I went through the workshop and then uh, taught, for, taught for another year. And then I was doing my PhD part-time that first year. And then I went full-time into the PhD. And, and, um, and there's a lot, a lot of other things that kind of happened and transpired after, after that. Yeah, but that that was kind of how I got involved. Let me when when we you and I talked two years ago, you had just finished your first year of teaching, and in uh, astronomy, I think at that point I'm trying to remember. There was a milestone of one year when we talked last. Anyway, I was just curious: is how how has modeling influenced you in the classroom? Uh, uh, as you've gone on to employ modeling techniques? My first year of teaching and even much of my second year and a little bit of my third year. So I I was in the classroom full-time for three years. Mm -hmm. The first two years was heavily direct instruction. And then then I went to the modeling instruction workshop Ah. the summer of 2019. Okay. And then I completed another year of teaching. However, that was also the year we all transitioned to this... uh, you know, this online learning environment because of the pandemic. So half of that yeah. year was, was, you know, I was with, with everybody else that was teaching that experienced that for, 
you know, that, that second, second semester. Right. But I started trying to incorporate more of this inquiry based type of learning in my classroom, especially after the modeling workshop. Now I was teaching physics, so I wasn't teaching astronomy and I was so new to this astronomy modeling and even just being a new teacher, I had a hard time, I think, uh, bring some of those activities into the classroom. Mm. But um, I did do several activities uh, that were modeling specific, and I noticed a huge difference in the student engagement and their excitement and even their their understanding of concepts. Mm. And I, one of my greatest memories of, of the first time I tried to do a modeling activity was just this like kind of maybe say like kind of a little bit of a controlled chaos, but like a good chaos, like this is like chaos of learning and excitement <laughs> of, of people being engaged and, and not so that then I would compare that to the chaos of students not being engaged yeah, <laughs> because that's another kind of chaos. That's maybe not good. Right. That, you know, we, we as teachers uh, have all experienced, but this was a more productive type of chaos that, you know, had this like kind of synergy between the students actually developing their knowledge and asking each other questions and being excited about, you know, actually learning by, by doing something. So th that was like kind of my first impression of it. And then, and then COVID happened and, you know, uh, we all know what happened after, after COVID in teaching. Mm -hmm. And, um, I went back into, I went into my PhD full time shortly after that. I started a research job at the SETI Institute and, um, just, uh, also to mention that Colleen became one of my supervisors with my PhD. So I have, mm. I have a couple different, uh, PhD supervisors. I have actually five of them. <laughs> I, have, I, have a, I have a team of these, these awesome experts, uh, from all kinds of different backgrounds to kind of help with my unique PhD project. And um, Colleen is bringing all of her expertise in the science education and modeling instruction world to help me uh, learn, you know, from her. Yeah. So, you know, through the course of my PhD, I have been, you know, I meet with her very regularly and, as as you and all the modelers know, Colleen is one of the best people to to be learning modeling from. Sure. So I'm very, very honored and privileged to have her as a personal teacher on learning about modeling. Mm -hmm. But uh but I've also been to other modeling workshops. I I was at the uh the computational modeling workshop this past summer in Cleveland. Right. I uh co developed and co taught the astronomy modeling with exoplanets course with Colleen and I've included modeling in a lot of my day to day with, with, uh, with uh, just talking about science and science education and my research, but also in a lot of the work that I'm doing uh, through, through the SETI Institute. So I, I don't have this like traditional experience that I think a lot of your, your, your listeners and other modelers have where they're, they're in, you know, a high school classroom you know, doing modeling. I, I was for a little bit and I do work with a lot of high school science teachers and also a lot of community college teachers and, mm -hmm. and other educators, but I am bringing it in in a kind of different way.
We'll be right back to the interview. But I want to encourage you to check out the AMTA's Meet a Modeler series on YouTube. You can learn about featured modelers by visiting the AMTA YouTube channel at youtube.com slash C slash AMTA teachers. That's youtube.com slash C slash AMTA teachers. This is a great resource to use if you're leading or taking a workshop or modeling course this summer. Now, back to our interview. Tell me about your work with SETI. And, and remind me what it, I, I know it's extraterrestrial something, but <laughs> the <laughs> S-E-T-I, <laughs> what, yeah. what does that stand for? So SETI is the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. And this is a nonprofit scientific and uh, scientific education organization based out of Mountain View, California. And mm -hmm. it started in, I believe it was in the, the 80s that a famous astronomer co-founded it by the name of Jill Tarter. Have you ever seen the movie Contact with Jodie Foster? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's based off a book by Carl Sagan, the same name. I saw the movie. <laughs> yeah, I saw the movie too. It's a good, it's a, it's a really good movie. And that character played by Jodie Foster was, was modeled, I should say, after <laughs> Uh, <laughs> modeled after Jill Tarter, who's a famous SETI astronomer. Hmm. And the organization is, you know, dedicated towards the the search for extraterrestrial intelligence in, in the universe. And this uh, organization comprises of many different types of scientists from many different fields. So there is in SETI this way of organizing our search through a quote-unquote equation called the Drake equation. Have you ever heard of the Drake equation? No, I haven't. So uh, it's, it's not after the famous singer Drake, but after the late Frank Drake, <laughs> who also co-founded the SETI Institute. Um, sadly, he, he did pass away recently, but at a nice old age, and he had a wonderful career. And this uh, this equation was developed, I believe it was an, at a meeting in, I believe, the 1970s, and Carl Sagan, I believe, was at this, and and Frank Drake, he uh, wrote this equation on the board to organize their thoughts and their their best ideas of how we can conduct this search. How do we even do a search for extraterrestrial intelligence? And sure. what the equation compromise or what it's what's what's inside the equation are these different factors that are kind of a probability that allow us to get. Um, our best guess of how much life there could be. So you don't you don't put in data into this equation and spit out a perfect answer. This is more of a of a of a really highly educated guess. And the different components of the equation include uh, how many stars there are. So how many stars are there like in 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 our galaxy? Okay, how many of those stars in our galaxy have planets around them? How many of those stars in our galaxy that have planets around them? are capable of supporting life as we know it. And then how many of those, um, et cetera, et cetera, uh, planets that can support life as we know it have, have life. And then how many of them have life that's intelligent? And then how many of them that have life that's intelligent are 
communicating that actually have these technology that allows them to communicate and are actually interested in communicating. And then the last part of the equation is one of the most interesting in my perspective is the capital letter L. Can you take a guess what L might stand for? I don't know. Life. Uh, so it's, it's, it's lifetime of, though. Lifetime of the civilization. So lifetime of the technological civilization. So if we have a intelligent, technological, and communicating civilization, how long do they last? And that's a really important one because um, if we have all this life throughout the universe and we have all this intelligent life throughout the universe, once they become technological, you know, how long do they last after that? How, if you were to take a guess, how long do you think humanity has been uh, technological? Not very long. And communicating. In the with, grand scheme of things. Yeah, and with communications. About what, 100 and something years? Yeah, yeah, 100, 150 years approximately, right? And... Um, so we could talk a lot about the Drake equation. It's really interesting, but but the point is is that this 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 uh, this equation, all those different factors, there's different fields of science that can determine our best estimate for each one of those factors, right? You know, uh, the the uh, formation of stars in our galaxy. You know, you're going to need uh, astrophysicists that specialize in, in that, mm -hmm. right? If you're talking about uh, planets and exoplanets, you know, then you're need astronomers that specialize in that if you're talking about life well you need, need a biologist you need chemists you need geologists right if you're talking about the lifetime of a civilization you've got to bring in some philosophers to talk about this right so you, you have all this the synergy amongst all these different scientific fields this multidisciplinary approach about trying to conduct this search so we have scientists at the SETI institute uh, throughout the world with all, from all these different backgrounds but they're also very heavily involved in education and I got involved uh, with the SETI Institute through another serendipitous moment. I tend to, I'm very fortunate to have a lot of this serendipity in my life, and it's very exciting. But uh, Carl and I were talking when I first started planning my, my uh, induction, if you will say, into my PhD program and saying, well, you need to build this team of supervisors because we're going to create this you know, unique project for you of uh, astrophysics and astronomy education. And he said, uh, I'll find, find a local astronomer that does some things with exoplanets. And I got an email within a day or so from the uh, San Francisco Amateur Astronomers Association with uh, an event that was coming up like in a couple days where this uh, planetary astronomer from the SETI Institute was going to be speaking. And the name of his talk was the next pale blue dot. And are you familiar with the pale blue dot from Carl Sagan? It sounds familiar to me. Is it Earth? Yeah, it's Earth taken from the yeah. uh, Voyager spacecraft from outside the orbit of Saturn. And okay. from that vantage point, Earth appears as this blue pixel on a screen. And Carl Sagan very eloquently and poetically described Earth as you know, this, this, you know, small, this small, uh, speck, you know, in the deep abyss of space where everyone who's ever lived or ever died, all of our wars, you know, all of our hate, all of our love, everything has ever happened on, happened on this, this pixel. And it, and it's a very inspiring, <laughs> uh, yeah. speech that he gave, which then turned into a book. So I, I highly encourage you and your, your listeners to 
to look it up. And if you go on YouTube and search pale blue dot, you'll find some pretty cool videos that have nice visuals with it. And it will definitely make the hair on the back of your neck stare up or stand up and give you some goosebumps. And it, it's, it's really nice. But, but that was one of the things that inspired me to go into astronomy and go back to school for science. And that's another story. But, but anyways, I was very, very interested about this email I got. It's like, Oh, this is cool. And he works for the SETI Institute. And I always thought the SETI Institute was really cool, you know, search for aliens and, That'd be a cool place to, to work one day, but never thought I'd actually work there, right? And I told Carl about it just jokingly. I was like, well, how about how about this guy? And he's like, go to his talk and ask him. <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. And he's like, just do it. And I was like, okay. So then I did, and I listened to his talk, and he uh, was really interesting. as as gentleman's name, Franck Marchese, and he also had this telescope with him. This telescope is this brand-new type of telescope that – I'd never heard of or seen before. It's called the Unistellar Enhanced Vision Telescope or Unistellar EV Scope. And he talked about it and did a little demo of it afterwards. It's this telescope that's it's a smart telescope that fits in a backpack and it's completely controlled on your smartphone with an app. And you can look at deep space objects such as galaxies, nebulae, star clusters, and it collects scientific data, scientific data that you can use in the classroom. And so... I told him about how I was starting this PhD and I was going to have a head, heavy education lean to it. And he was interested and he wanted to talk more. So then he became a part of my uh, PhD supervisor group along with Carl and Colleen and uh, Brad and Duncan at, at UniSQ. And then that, that did turn into me uh, having a research uh, job uh, with the SETI Institute working with him and this uh, Unistellar network. And, um, so that, that's, that's how it kind of came about. So I was going to ask you to go on and talk a little bit about the work with, that you help with at the SETI, um, Mm -hmm. UCAN. Yeah. So UCAN is the acronym for a project that I work on with the SETI Institute with a collaborator, Thomas Bezito and Frank Marchese and other people on our, uh, unistellar science team with the SETI Institute. So to understand uh, UCAN, uh, which stands for the Unistellar College Astronomy Network, uh, give you a, just a real quick background on what Unistellar is. I already told you about the telescope, but uh, it's it's grown so much since that meeting with Frank back in 2019. It was kind of really at the beginning stages of its development. The SETI Institute they they completed a uh, I guess that's what an MOU uh, with uh, Unistellar. And Unistellar is a telescope company in France. And Franck is one of the co co founders, co developers of it. And their their goal is to democratize astronomy. So if you think about if you think about our science classrooms in biology, what kind of instruments do you use to collect data? Yeah, well, microscopes and you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah, microscopes. What about what about uh, in chemistry? Well, they got gas spectrometers and <laughs> you know lots of different devices. Yeah, or more simply, even you know just beakers and chemicals, right? Beakers and chemicals, right? In physics, we have projectiles, right? Or, you know, earth science, we're going to have rocks and uh, soil, and you know, the just I mean, you go outside and you got your lab, right? With astronomy, the universe is our lab, and it is really hard uh, until until now to collect that data to to be used. So Carl and his GHOU team were 
We're doing this by connecting teachers and students with remote telescopes. But for a teacher to actually have a telescope that collects data, they'd have to go and connect a bunch of special cameras to it and all this equipment and wires. And, you know, there are some very dedicated citizen astronomers that are very capable and create these elaborate setups, but 90, you know, maybe 99% of teachers aren't going to do that or not going to be interested or not going to have the time to do that. So the point is, is having that instrument, you know, getting, getting a, you know, a, 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 a beaker and chemicals is pr- pretty easy for most, most science teachers getting a microscope. Well, I don't want to say it's pretty easy. Sometimes it's pretty hard, but it's, it's a lot easier than getting a, a telescope that's able to collect the scientific data. Right. And it's much more common. You don't really see um, too many uh, middle schools and high schools with telescopes that are able to actually collect astronomical data. Right. Because it's been, the technology has been out of reach and been too expensive. Right. So this, this telescope, the Unistellar EV scope, is a consumer telescope that's really easy to use. It fits in a backpack, and it can it can collect the data. So we can we can collect from uh, asteroids and occulting asteroids, planetary defense. We can uh, even observe exoplanets, which are planets around other stars. And that data can come to be a research level that it's actually publishable, and it has been publishable. And this network has grown to over ten thousand telescopes around the world. And we have many publications out now. And what we're doing is putting these telescopes into the classroom. And with the UCAN network, we uh, funded by a, a grant from the uh, uh, Gordon and Betty Moore Foundation to place them into community colleges. And we have commu- uh, over 30 community colleges in the United States where I work directly uh, with the professors and helping them learn how to use a telescope and also implement it into their curriculum, into their teaching. And I try as best as I can to, to introduce them to modeling. And, and I even uh, tell them about modeling and invite them to modeling workshops and, 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 you know, encourage them to do more inquiry based uh, practices, which this telescope can allow them to do. Wow. Yeah. So that's what you can is. Gotcha. So the reason I contacted you about doing this podcast is because I saw an announcement from the AMTA that you and Colleen were doing a modeling workshop coming up here, online Mm -hmm. uh, virtual workshop. And uh, so I thought it'd be good to share with our listeners about that and maybe have you talk a little bit about where you guys are going in that workshop. Yeah, I'd love to. So. So we we first offered this this course uh, in the um, the uh, northern hemisphere spring, <laughs> so uh, from January to May of 2022, and it's called astronomy modeling with exoplanets, and we're offering it again this uh, this January 2023, and it's a 45-hour distance learning course. And it's you know very similar to a lot of the uh, AMTA distance learning modeling workshops, mm. and it it utilizes the some of those initial activities and models that were developed in the 2019 workshop that I attended as a participant. But what happened is Colleen and uh, the other people on our teams that that we work with, we uh, worked on improving improving it because as we know with, with modeling workshops if you consider our workshop as a model, right? And in modeling instruction, our model's never perfect, right? We always want to... It's always improving. 
yeah, we always want to improve the model and that includes our workshops. So, you know, we took, you know, uh, the feedback from the first workshop and I had feedback too, cause I was a participant and we tried to improve upon it and, you know, refine it and make it better. But since I specialize in, in exoplanets and exoplanet citizen science and that, uh, that education, those education pieces involved with that, we, uh, we themed the course around exoplanets. So, um, it has, um, it has uh, a lot of the same material, but it's also a little bit different. And, you know, we start with uh, how do we map and measure space from Earth's perspective? Then we go into how do objects interact in space? And then how do we know about objects and events in space? That includes light, so measuring light. And um, that's how we can find exoplanets, by measuring lights in a certain way. And then it ends with the evolution fate of the universe in the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. Cause that's exciting. And I think all teachers and students and most humans that I know are interested in that question too. Are we alone? Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. It starts in January and enrollment's open now. Uh, we'd love to, to have you and you don't have to teach astronomy in order to do this. Hmm. So it was a misconception that I had. So, uh, great thing about science and modeling is we blow misconceptions out of the water, right? <laughs> so astronomy um, has a lot of, can be taught through a lot of concepts of physics, but even in chemistry and biology, or you maybe you're not even a high school teacher. Maybe you teach community college, or even you're a professor at a four-year university, or maybe you just want to learn astronomy because you've always been interested right? Anybody can take it, right? So, and no matter what your background and, and interest in, in astronomy and for your reasons for taking it, you're going to get something out of it. And we are also going to be connecting the, the teachers with the uh, Unistellar network. So the, the network is very organic and, and is very excited about doing observations for education. So we did this, uh, the last iteration of the course, and we're going to do it again, where teachers and their students, if they want to as well, will actually say, oh, we want to get an observation of this exoplanet. We want to plan an exoplanet observation. So I'll then um, put that notice up on our communication boards with the Unistellar network around the world and say, oh, I have a teacher in Maine or a teacher in, in New Jersey or in California. And their students and the teacher, they want to get an exoplanet. So then the network will observe it for them and we'll get the data for them and we'll teach the teachers how to do this in their classroom. So not only are we doing modeling, but we're also having combining it with like this really focused project-based learning uh, experience where they're literally doing science and learning from it. And sometimes this can even result in, in publishing or being involved in a published uh, journal article. Huh. Which has happened already. Through the network. Now, I want to just clarify. Um, you said you have how many of these telescopes deployed around the world now? Over 10,000. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so you said that those telescopes will gather data mm -hmm. from from what they observe. And is it all being funneled into some kind of master archive um or is that what how this is all working so you have 10,000 telescopes around the world that are gathering data and combining all their known information that it collects is that correct yeah more or less now i, I will point out that not all 10,000 plus of those those uh unicellular aviscope users are involved in citizen science so uh when a citizen science observation happens from the network, we actually have a human being controlling the telescope. Mm -hmm. And 
Um, I'll, you know, a lot of users are just using this for, you know, for fun or for outreach or just, you know, as a backyard telescope. But then there is, a, you know, a good portion of them that, you know, are using it for, uh, for citizen science. And, uh, you know, as an example, our, um, our network, we, we communicate them, communicate with them through uh, Slack. And on our Slack channel, we have, uh, I think, close to like 1,500, uh, some hmm. uh, 1,500 or more of uh, these Unistellar users that are dedicated towards citizen science. Yeah. And then, you know, a smaller portion of them dedicated towards, towards exoplanets. But what happens is when users do observe a, 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 an event, such as an exoplanet or an asteroid or a comet, they will upload their data to the cloud. And our the data goes into our our uh, our cloud system, and then we uh, have a science team that then processes that data and then gives it back to the citizen scientists. And in some cases, that data contributes to publishable work. And we do have publications that are out in press. So for example, there's a really cool one recently that um, a colleague of mine, uh, Ryan Lambert, uh, led with, with Frank and some other people on our team and a bunch of citizen scientists where they observed the, the, uh, James Webb space telescope or JWST when it deployed. So they actually observed spacecraft This is another citizen science project where they observed a, uh, a spacecraft leaving earth and observed it with the telescope network and were able to create light curves and learn about its deployment, which, which is also helps improve the space industry. So you can also uh, learn about you know sp- you know space science and the space industry and and collect data that can help you know improve what we know and do in our space industry and initiatives with NASA and other and SpaceX and stuff like that. Yeah, that's really cool. Well, the course you guys are going to start in January sounds very interesting. And so people who are listening, if they want to get involved with that course, join that course, they would go to the AMTA website. Is that correct? Yeah, they can go to the AMTA website. There's also a a bit.ly uh, that goes to the registration page. It's uh, bit.ly forward slash 2023 astronomy. And I can share that link with you too, if you want to put it in the in the show notes. Yes, absolutely. That's very cool. I want to um, ask you. This is a complete side thing, but I know you're a, a songwriter and um, you do music as well as all this other cool science stuff that you do. A science musician. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. And I saw your your name your stage name is Connor Echo Eco Echo Echo Connor Echo yeah yeah that's correct but it's E K O right yeah E K O is is how it's uh, spelled and it's Connor C O N N E R a lot of people spell it with the O but it's C O N N E R it's ah. from my middle name my middle name is O'Connor uh-huh. my middle name is O'Connor and then uh, Echo comes from one of my favorite television shows Mister Echo from Lost. <laughs> He's one of my favorite characters. Wow. So do you have like a website or something where people wanted to check out your music? Yeah. Yeah. I uh, write my own original music. I would say it's indie, indie pop, indie singer, songwriter. Some of my songs produced or produced with synthesizers and kind of have like an 80s kind of sound to them. And some mm-hmm. of them are more acoustic singer, songwriter. And I do uh, release music on Spotify and Apple Music and all the different places where people can can stream music. And uh, if you just look up Connor Echo, 
at Connor Echo on all the social media or ConnorEcho.com or you Google it, you'll be able to find it. Okay, cool. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, I have a new single that just released. It's called um, I Didn't See You At All. And it's an acoustic track that I did live in the studio. Uh, so there's a version of me performing in the studio there. And one of my goals down the road is to do more, you know, science-influenced kind of songwriting hmm. and include some of the SETI stuff in there, too. In fact, I do have a song that I've written that's kind of about the Drake equation and the lifetime of civilization <laughs> and about how all the ways that humanity's killing themselves from uh. climate change to nuclear war to mass extinctions and et cetera, et cetera, and how our cosmic perspective can help um, hopefully inspire and inform us to be a better people to hopefully prolong our existence on this planet for us and for other life too. So I try to bring that philosophy into my music. That was actually my next question, and you answered it without me having to ask it. That you, do you tie the music and the science together? And like that's really cool. Yeah, and I'm working on a show. I'm working on a show that includes me doing a science talk, as well as performing original music. So mm. trying to maybe uh, target science centers um, to you know talk a little bit about SETI and, and our search for life and what that means to us, but then also perform some of my music as well. Yeah, that's awesome. Very cool. Well, it has been very interesting talking with you today, Daniel, and uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. It's um, It's been Thanks. great. I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. It's been great, and so we'll... Uh, Go check you out online, and, and uh, hopefully your new modeling course is going to have some cool impact in, in people's lives, and some teachers can uh, and others can grow from it. I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing how that all turns out. It'll be fun to see how, the, you know, that goes. Yeah, and thanks for thanks for posting this podcast, and I really appreciate the time, and hope to uh, see some of the listeners in our in our class in January. Yeah, that'd be cool. Okay, Daniel, mm-hmm. thank you. You have a great rest of the day. You too, Mark. Thanks a lot. Take care. Thanks. Thanks so much for joining us on another episode of Science Modeling Talks. Head over to sciencemodelingtalks.com and you'll be able to listen to any of our archived episodes and access our show notes, which include guest bios, show highlights, and links to resources that were mentioned during the interview. While you're there, subscribe to our show so you won't miss out on any of our episodes. When you join this community through our email list, we'll send you a link to a lot of awesome resources from the American Modeling Teachers Association. Okay, so that's our show. As always, remember to keep striving for excellence in your classroom.